Hello and welcome to another episode of Monsters May Vary. Today is going to be another solo session. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my co-hosts, one of them's being worked to death and one of them actually got a great new job that they are training for. So I decided I would do a little something on my own. It's not going to be anything spectacular, but we're going to read some scary stories together and see if I can A, scare myself and B, maybe give you nightmares. So these stories come from backpackerverse.com and I like doing these because I like the surprise element. So forgive me if I misspeak or whatever, because we're just jumping in together. So here we go. Our first story is called My Night Terrors Are Real. Since childhood, I've had to deal with the real entities who come stalking during my frequent night terrors. It was so annoying and disappointing when the elders in my family tried to tell me that they were just nightmares. I felt that they were keeping secrets from me, pawning them off as ghost stories or overactive imagination. By the time I was 10 years old, I'd learned how to leave my body and attempt to try to escape their attacks. I'd hover over my bed and looking at my body, frozen in terror with my eyes open, straining to snap out of it. Once I hit my teens, I realized that I was leaving my body vulnerable to possession by the various evil entities. One night when I was 17, I was fighting for my body as a spirit of a nasty creature hovered over my bed. At first, I felt the familiar tingle up and down my spine as sleep paralysis kicked in, followed by the strange visions. I could see an ocean of swarming bodies melding into infinity with the image of reptilian monsters coming closer. I saw that it was the ghost of a shape-shifting creature hovering over me and waving its hand over my face furiously. I knew that the creature wanted to take over my body. I felt my muscles lock as my eyes opened to see the green ghostly monster concentrating on ripping my soul out. The fear of seeing such a beast, including the fluids running from its ethereal body, made me zoom into space. As soon as I got out of my body, I realized that my mortal life was in danger, so I quickly flew back into the room. Hovering over my body, I saw the evil spirit wasn't aware that I'd left my body as it continued to wave its hand. I saw my inner and wide-eyed body as the monster hunched over me, increasing the speed of his waving. At a loss of what I could do, I called on my higher self to help, even though I didn't know exactly what that meant. As soon as I thought that a bright orange light penetrated the room. This distracted the monstrous spirit. I saw it slowly turn around and growl at my higher spirit, which was a large ball of orange light floating next to me. I don't know. Does anybody get like Harry Potter Patronus vibes? Like, I don't know. That's just like what popped into my head is the, you know, yeah. Anyway, what frightened me more was that the monster turned to look at me, hovering over my still-frozen body. I saw an eternity entirely reptilian soul, like a shell of a luminescent green light, transparent like a ghostly, like a ghost and deadly. Ghost stories don't ha- hold a candle to the reality of night terrors. I heard an unearthly howl as it turned back to my body and tried to take possession while the orange light buzzed. It shot out 
A beam of orange light, like a saber or bolt of lightning, penetrating the ghostly shell of the monster. The orange lightning splintered through the shell and making the monster roar in agony as it started to dissolve. I heard a voice command me telepathically, get back to your body and don't leave again without me. Not having to be told twice, I zoomed back in and blinked frantically as I watched the strange war raging above me. I could see my higher self as the yellow angel, shooting out beams of energy and continued to penetrate the ghost. When I asked, what is it? I heard my higher self answer, a demonic shapeshifter from another dimension. With one more blast of light, the monster yelped and obliterated into a billion pieces, leaving a green mist behind. Finally, I was able to unlock my muscles and sit up. I saw the mist dissipate and the golden light slowly ebb away. I called out as I cried, thank you. Even though there were no more words, I was bathed in warmth and love. He was the only, that was one of the, eh, sorry guys. That was only one of the many experiences I've had with night terrors, which continues to plague me to this day. It's hard to believe terrifying stories where ghosts and monsters attack the innocent, but once you've experienced it yourself, the whole world changes forever. So yeah, I get like, um, Harry Potter vibes or like something of that form and maybe an angel. I mean, they say your higher self is your like inner spirit and you can call on that or if you believe in angels god and stuff like that then you call on that sort of thing but whatever it was you know it sounds scary and it sounds like she or he was protected by whatever this was so i mean that's good okay so the second story we have is called There is Something Wrong with My Uncle John. The women in my family have always been competitive when it comes to cooking, especially when it's holiday season. I can't even remember a time they weren't all teasing each other way before November. Come to think about it, they're competitive all year round, but especially when Thanksgiving approaches. This year, my uncle decided to throw his hat in the ring, even though my aunt admonished him for being the only male to do so. What compelled him was the death of his beloved German shepherd early in the fall. Champ was everything to Uncle John. So when he moped around deep in grief, my aunt had an idea. She wanted him to help her in the kitchen, and it wasn't long before he started getting excited. It was exactly the medicine he needed. He was soon offering to cook for their evening meals, and Aunt Sophie was so happy to have a break. One of the dishes, one of his dishes was delicious. She talked him into making it for Thanksgiving. We all teased him mercilessly about being the only thorn among the roses, but he laughed it off. When they turned up at Grandma's house, it was so much fun to watch him prancing around the kitchen with an apron on. My mother was the only one who seemed a little put out. Dad and I pulled us pulled her aside thinking that she was miffed about having someone else to compete against, especially seeing as he was male. Mom was very old-fashioned and strange in her assumption that men shouldn't cook, even though the majority of the great chefs in the world are men. She assured us that her sexist belief had nothing to do with her annoyance. She confided that she was worried about John and his odd behavior. 
She said that there was something unnerving about how over-the-top he was, seeing as he was usually so sedate and laid back. We put it down to how he was dealing with his grief. The smells coming from Grandma's kitchen were drool-worthy. Seeing as Grandma is getting older, she was happy to have her family use her kitchen around the holidays. My mother's apricot chicken and Aunt Sophie's sage and onion stuffed turkey and my other aunt's beautiful dishes put us in a state of bliss. When Uncle John placed his beef burguinon on the table, we all gasped. Dad was so impressed that he mastered such a fancy dish, and when I took a bite, I thought I'd gone to heaven. It was rich and savory and melt-in-your-mouth delicious. We were so enamored by the casserole that we polished it off before everything else. After dinner, we all did our usual voting by writing the dishes on a piece of paper and placing them in Grandpa's old fedora hat. Grandma did the honors and counted the entries. Uncle John had won by a landslide. We all cheered and laughed at the irony until Uncle John nearly fell over while laughing maniacally. Mom was freaked out and yelled at him, asking him why he was being such an idiot. I realized that she was onto something. And when he started barking like a dog while slathering like a man-man, we all froze and he stood up and yelled, woof, woof. Champ wins again. Great till the last bite. You wonder why I didn't want him cremated. We all looked at each other in horror. Uncle John had fed us his own dead dog. My aunt was crying as she called the cops, knowing that he needed to be treated by professionals. After vomiting, I watched as he was taken away, screaming and laughing in an ambulance. I'll never eat dark meat again. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I knew that was coming. Like, that wasn't entirely a surprise to me, especially since her mother thought he was behaving weirdly. So I was like, yeah, he ate the freaking dog. Oh, I can't believe that. That's why you shouldn't trust people that don't normally cook. Like, even if they do normally cook, I'd question it if something like that happened and it was completely different. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I just don't trust people's cooking. Maybe that's just a thing. Okay. The third story is called, There is Something Wrong With My Son. It seems so pointless and ungrateful for me to even complain about what most people would say is nuts, but I have a theory that my 15-year-old son isn't my son. I'm not saying that I don't, that I think he was either switched at birth or that my wife cheated on me back then, but he and I don't click at all. Don't get me wrong, he looks like me, sounds like me, and even acts like me at times, especially when he's angry or finds something amusing. People are always praising my wife and I for raising such a perfect, well-mannered, intelligent, and good-looking boy who cares about the world and all the creatures, great and small. If you ask me, he's a little too perfect. Even when he loses his temper, he's thoughtful and soon apologizes. Some would say that we have a perfect life. We're well off and live in a beautiful home, which is taken care of by my beautiful wife. Some say we're so lucky that it hurts, but I'd give anything to have what other people have, even if it meant being poorer. I enjoy seeing trials and tribulations of others. That's what life is supposed to be all about, 
but my wife doesn't agree. She loves how perfect our little angel is and goes on and on about how wonderful he is. It makes me want to vomit and scream. The only time she ever lost her temper was six months ago when I told her about a vivid dream I had. It started with my son being a year old again. I went into his room and saw the window open and the curtains flying and flapping about. I went over to the window and I felt the hair on my neck prickle. I slowly turned around and saw an evil-looking shadow person leaning over the crib. My instincts kicked in and I raced to the crib and the creature grabbed my son up and leapt out the window. I yelled for my wife as I ran down the stairs to apprehend the creature as my son screamed in terror. When I made it outside, she came up behind me and our son with our son on her hip. Both were smiling sweetly at me. After that dream, I woke up crying and saying that I finally knew what had happened to our son, that we'd been left with a changeling from the other side. My wife was so enraged, she slapped me across the face. She was so hurt that she began to cry. I comforted her and tried to shake the dream off. I'll never forget the next morning at breakfast when my son gave me the strangest smile. He said, I love you, father. You know that, right? I gulped and nearly choked on my coffee because it was so chilling. I was so chilled by the undertone of his trained voice. Yeah, I know that, Daniel. I love you, too. I watched as he stared right at me with his pale green eyes before he looked back at his eggs with a satisfied smile. Just yesterday, we went to a crazy new age festival, which my wife loves to attend. She and Daniel put, put on crazy hats and danced with each other like nuts while I sipped on god-awful herbal smoothies. I nearly choked when I saw a boy reaching, watching me from the other side of the field. Something about his eyes and wistful way he looked at me pulled at my heartstrings. I started to move towards him, but in an instant he was gone. I could have swore I saw a dark figure leading him away. I was so distracted by Daniel, who gave me an almost threatening look. Father, aren't you going to join in? He asked in a menacing tone. When I saw the pained look on my wife's eyes, I gave in and took his hand. Sure, I smiled. I keep telling myself, someday soon. So it sounds like he was right and maybe the changeling thing was real and he encountered his son at this so-called festival. But what I don't get is why his wife doesn't notice it. Or maybe she's just like somehow brainwashed. Or my other theory is that possibly she was swapped too. So he's got this wife that's not even his real wife that he's living with, which is even more scary, I guess. I saw a bloody spirit in the woods. Nothing is more terrible than losing a loved one. Everyone knows that. This reality hit home for me 20 years ago when I lost the love of my life. We had been childhood sweethearts and we finally married several years later when we were both 21 years of age, but I lost him on our honeymoon in a motorbike accident. I felt guilty for surviving. I'd always been afraid of ghost stories and was even more so after he passed away, doing my best to make sure I was never alone. Even though I would have loved to see him again, the idea of seeing his spirit was just too much for me. My family took me to stay in a log cabin in the woods, which, was my, which my husband would have loved, as he was a nature lover. 
Even though my parents cooked out and tried to get me involved, all I wanted to do was sleep so I could avoid the grief. Early one morning, I felt like I was being watched and I freaked out. I decided to get up and go for a walk on my own in the woods. Seeing the mist put me in a dreamy frame of mind and I wandered along in a trance. I tried not to think about my husband and the feelings I had when I woke up, but the sensation hit me as I approached the top of the hill. Not knowing what to do, I stood still and looked around, totally confused. My hair prickled and my blood froze as I saw the apparition of a woman in a crimson dress further up the trail. I gasped when I realized that her dress was totally soaked in blood. I'd smelt the blood but put it down to being in the woods. She kept her head bowed, her long black hair seeming to blend into the dress and the blood continued flowing on the ground around her. I could hear quiet weeping and sor sorrowful moans. I started to slowly step backwards as she floated closer to me with each step that I took. Shaking with fear, my mind scrambled to figure out what to do. Then the woman looked up from under a long strand of hair on her face. I saw dark eyes staring up at me and her scarlet lips trembling as she wept. When she brought her hands up to clasp together against her chest, I saw that they were covered in blood. I turned and began to run down the hill and skidded to a stop when I saw her ahead of me, having zoomed to that position in a split second. I darted off into the trees and it didn't matter where I went. She continued to appear in a flash, moaning and weeping and clasping her blood-soaked hands to her chest, all the time getting closer and closer. I felt like I was trapped. I raced away one more time, and she materialized directly in front of me, now reaching her hands out and drawing me in for a deathly hug. I screamed as I felt her cold, wet body squeezing me to her, feeling the blood seeping into my own clothes and smelling the scent of death all around me. Her hideous face was only centimeters away from me. I yelled, What do you want? Please let me go. I pulled away from her as hard as I could. She looked into my eyes and chilled my breath as I panted in blasts of cold air. She spoke telepathically to me as I didn't see her lips move, apart from the trembling. I will let you go if you let him in. She leaned in and planted a cold, bloody kiss to my cheek. Somehow... I knew that she meant what she meant, and I struggled a little bit more until it dawned on me that the only way that I could get away from her was to agree. Okay, I will, just let me go. In an instant, she vanished, and I was left on my own, or so I thought. I turned around and saw my husband there, surrounded by a golden halo and smiling with his arms out. I ran to him and felt his arms around me. Sobbing into his chest, I cried out. How is this happening? He stroked my hair and whispered, I wanted to say goodbye. She brought us together even through her own grief. After the long goodbye, he vanished, but I saw the woman smiling through her own sadness. She slowly started moving further and further away, just as she approached moments earlier. I felt an overwhelming leap. An overwhelming sense that she was still profoundly sad, but felt happy that she was able to give us what she had longed for. Just one moment with a loved one who had passed away. Aw, so that was kind of cute. I mean, I mean, I would obviously be terrified just like anybody else would, but I honestly wasn't expecting her to be there for the good of her and her husband.
and she kind of did force that on them, but I think it was probably needed. Then the other half of me is even thinking, like, was that really her husband? The way she said, um, you have to let him in, and she agreed to it, it kind of makes me wonder if she ever saw him again, if it was actually her husband, if more problems came from that. And then the other part of my mind actually feels bad for this woman, and, like, is there somebody that she needed to see? Did she ever get to see them? Like, I don't know. But that was actually a good one. And the last story that I will share with you, like I said, this is going to be short. It's just something to basically let you guys know we're still alive and we're still here and apologize again for not being very consistent. But like I said before, and not going to make excuses, but stuff happens. And this time it's good things. Good things while Corey's training for his new job. And after his training's done, hopefully we can still get back to recording on Thursdays and all that fun jazz. Escaping the Madman's Hellish Dungeon. This is a difficult story to share as it involves my uncle's evil, evil legacy, which was brought to it ahead many years ago. I never met him, but when I was a teenager, my mother told me that he'd committed suicide and that was that. My father, who was his brother, died from cancer. I was only three and there was no other living relatives. Dad was the only one in my uncle's will, which left the house, which left his house of horrors that was passed on over to my mother. Uncle Arthur's House of Horrors was called such due to the horrifying murders he conducted before his death. He knew that the police were closing in when many young women went missing over a period of 15 years. After his death, the subsequent investigations and cleanups, my mother finally decided what to do with the property. By the time I was 21, there had been total refurbishment and then she rented it out to several people. When I reached 30 years of age... I looked over at the dealings and had to answer many complaints about the building. <clears throat> so basically she took over. The renter said they heard screams and saw ghost ghastly apparitions. I never believed ghost stories and was a little annoyed at having to check the property at all times of the night. At this stage, mom was quite ill herself. So I often went to the building alone, armed with a flashlight and my pistol. One night at the beginning of autumn, I received yet another call from a new tenant who said she heard screams. Tired of the complaints, I felt that they were just knee-jerk reactions and that the rumors were stories, rumors and stories of the murders basically scared everybody. I refused the suggestion to bring a priest or a medium to perform a cleansing, so I went in to investigate myself. This time, I decided to spend more time in the building, especially in the basement where no one liked to go. I told the woman to stay someone, somewhere else for the night so I could check the premises out without any hindrance. Beginning on the second floor, I methodically swept through each room and did my best to keep my eyes peeled. I also kept my ears open and did hear many sounds, all of which I assumed could easily be explained using reasoning. When I heard the occasional moan, I attributed it to the plumbing and the shifting of the old framework. At times, I felt a cold blast and assumed that I needed to get 
drafts, and air conditioning checked. When I went to the first floor, I heard noises that sounded like screams, but I thought they were cats fighting. When I got to the top of the stairs, which led down to the basement, I heard a distinct guttural growl from behind, below. I have to admit, it did freak me out a little, but I convinced myself that it was probably creaking pipes or even the door. Switching the lights on, I noticed a strong odor of blood hitting my nostrils, but passed it off as rusty metals. When I walked down the stairs, I heard shuffling footsteps, which made me wonder if squatters were there. I called out angrily, who's there? But no one answered. So I kept moving to the bottom mm -hmm. of the stairs. The hair on the back of my neck stood up and blood-curdling screams came from far, far in the basement. I turned my flashlight on due to the fact that the lights didn't illuminate the whole area and I couldn't see anything. What made my flesh crawl was the growling and weeping and pleas for help. I couldn't explain them away. I kept yelling, who's there? But all I heard was crying and intermittent shuffling and occasional screams. Then I sensed a dark presence behind me, growling and chuckling. I spun around and nearly fainted when I saw the basement was cluttered and filthy like I was in another house. The screams were louder now, and the lights flickered and the growling presence loomed large in the back room. I walked past the large wall of boxes and crates to see a scene that might as well have been straight from a horror film. Three young women were hanging from hooks on the ceiling, secured by their wrists and naked, dripping with blood. Two of them seemed to be either dead or unconscious, while a younger blonde woman kicked and screamed. Her blood-soaked gag had dropped to her neck, and I had and saw several deep cuts on her chest and abdomen, still bleeding. Shaking uncontrollably, I blinked many times, trying to convince myself that I was dreaming, but it was all too real. Then I saw a strange scene behind a row of hanging women. There was a long steel table being prepared by a big man. I didn't realize that I was still creeping toward the table as the man fiddled with the shackles at the end of the corners. He wore a black raincoat and a hood over his head, muttering and chuckling as he pulled out a hammer. I suddenly bumped into the table in shock, then screamed when he turned to face me. It was my Uncle Arthur. He gave me a vicious smile and soon morphed into a scowl as he cackled loudly like a maniac and pointed to me. He yelled, On the table now, little piggy. I turned to run but smacked into one of the hanging women. I felt the blood sticking to my face as I continued to scream while my uncle's strong hands grabbed my shoulders. In a split second, he dragged me back and slammed me onto the table and then quickly shackled my ankles and wrists. He wrenched the flashlight from my hands and smashed it down on my forehead. I saw stars for quite a while. I felt blood trickling in my eyes and many screams filled my ears along with howling coming from my uncle. It was like he thought he was an, he was an animal howling at the moon while he slammed the hammer all along the table. I felt the table shake as he continued to bring the hammer down between my legs and other parts of the table. I couldn't believe it when I started to scream and plead, Uncle Arthur, it's me, please don't hurt me. He was muttering again, saying incoherent things as he rummaged through the drawer on, the, on his workbench. He turned around and saw with a saw in his hand, looking at me in a dazed and furious way. I thought I was going to die. There seemed to be a hundred women screaming now, and he 
Sorry about that. There seemed to be a hundred women screaming now as he brought down the saw and roughly onto my neck. I could see his black-rimmed eyes as he leered at me, dribbling through rotten, gnashing teeth, growling like a beast. When I, when the saw started tearing at my flesh, I screamed for the last time and passed out with blood and tears mingling. It seemed like an eon before I woke up, flat on my back on the floor in the basement, which was now back to normal. I sat up and wondered if it was all a dream, but nothing stopped me from convincing Mom to sell the property. Yeah. I wouldn't have stayed there alone. When you think of death and how many people might have been, you know, killed in that house, they say there was upwards of like 15 different women. I would assume that it was haunted. But it almost wonders if, makes me wonder if they had like a premonition or I don't know, what do you call it when you see the past? Like, anyway. She got to psychically see basically what it was like and almost experience it firsthand. I mean, basically she did. It just seemed like a nightmare to her, but I mean, yeah, that's terrifying. So that is the last story for now, and that is my Quaker parrot saying hi. Now he's flapping around like crazy. Hi, Maui. But anyway, until next time, I hope you enjoyed these spooky stories. I know the last one is probably the worst one for me. But until next time, guys. Bye!